Hello and welcome to Better Under Pressure. I'm Sarah Milne-Rowe, author of The Shed Method and founder of Coaching Impact. And in this podcast, I talk to leaders from all walks of life about being better under pressure and using pressure for better. I want to explore how we handle pressure in a world that is becoming more and more complex, the impact that that pressure has on our ability to perform at our best, and what we do to be better under pressure. It probably comes more from comparison fatigue than anything else, or or my own kind of expectations of going, this is where I want to be, and I want to get there. I'm I'm massively impatient. So I'm like, I want to get there now. Um, so when I want to get there, I can't. And then and then I put that pressure on myself and, and then get my balance wrong and don't know that I'm doing the right thing with the kids or or whatever. So um, I think that's where my learnings have been as well. Of, and, and as I feel as I've matured, is learning that actually um, it's okay just to kind of go at your own pace and run your own race and not be at the same, you know, the same pace as everybody else. Today, I'm talking to Fran Borman. Fran is an award-winning business leader, having built and exited a multi-million pound turnover business at the same time as bringing up two young children. Subsequently, Fran launched the groundbreaking Goal 17, a mentor training company known for innovative social impact programmes. Global Woman voted her the UK's number one female business influencer. She's featured in Forbes and on the BBC, and her businesses now partner with some of the biggest global sporting brands, including many Premier League football clubs and Premiership rugby clubs. She's a non-executive director to several high-growth businesses and is currently creating an exciting new technology platform to bring millions of people together in meaningful mentoring partnerships to improve equality. In our conversation, she reveals how she borrows from the lessons she learned as a semi-professional skier, the importance of surrounding yourself with people who are limitless, and how the word yes forced her to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Fran Borman, welcome to Better Under Pressure. Thank you so much. I'm so excited about this conversation. Oh, me too. Amazing. So, Milmo, it's amazing <laughs> to be here. <laughs> Brilliant. So, um, what I love is just to start off with a frank question, which is, how do you experience pressure? Oh, uh, that's a great question. Okay, um, so um, I actually think I experience it quite naively. So I think I'm very good at keeping on top of stuff, um, which is brilliant in the moment, but it's slightly self-destructive longer term because if you don't, if I if I don't stop and make myself realise that I'm under pressure and therefore as a result I'm likely to experience stress, then what happens is I can just muddle my way through and then it kind of comes crashing down so the way that I sort of experience pressure is by getting busy and getting stuff done but it then does mean that sometimes you are storing up potentially a little bit of a challenge for the future um so I need to kind of make sure that I I look after myself as well and don't crash and burn out the back of it yeah and already I think it's really interesting what you just said about if I'm not careful pressure can turn into stress so there's a distinction in there for you say more about that well, yeah, I suppose because I suppose some pressure is good, and I like to be challenged. I don't like to be. Um, I find mediocrity quite boring, so I quite like to be challenged. So in that sense, some pressure is good, and I, I to an extent, I thrive in it. But I think 
and maybe that's me picking up on the negative connotations of pressure and I think in the world that we're living in at the moment um there's lots of stresses and pressures and so on that that, that I think there's because there's pressure that you can um put on yourself to achieve and do more but there's also external pressures that are outside your control and I think when they're outside your control sometimes again they'll be good but a lot of the time um they're there are other people's pressures that you take on to yourself and actually those pressures sometimes they're more important to the other person but if you take on their stress that that or their you know their their importance on that it might not share the same importance for you so so it can be um can be a bit challenging yeah it's almost like um I've got a client that bubble wraps herself (laughs) to sort of protect them metaphorically from the spillover of other people's pressure or or stress or whatever it is that's you know radiating from them it's interesting and I think if you're quite empathetic it's very easy to want to help other people Mm. with their especially if you're quite capable I'm quite a capable and empathetic person I think and so I find if I see other people under pressure my natural instinct is to go help them um just you know for no reward just see somebody under pressure you want to help them which is great but then suddenly you bring more of that on yourself um and you then have to go well hold on is this is this is this good pressure or is this bad pressure and it's just understanding what's good and what's bad great well I'd, I'd love to dig into that a little bit more later on about how you recognize good versus bad mm. let's just store that for a second and can you take us take us back Frank because you're so interesting in terms of what you've done in your life and you've had pressure from all sorts of different you know you know for example well, you told me that you're a semi-professional skier you know so that you know just from that experience and then you've already built and exited a, a business of your own uh you're bringing up two children on your own I mean like Take us back to how you remember first experiencing pressure. Uh, so I suppose actually maybe that will, will relate to why I felt it as stress, actually, because um, I was quite a stressy child, um, not openly, but invertly. Um, so when I was um, so so as a, um, a teenager, I spent most of my youth training as a competitive skier. I absolutely loved it, but I was quite, I put quite a lot of pressure on myself to want to achieve in a way that I loved and I really enjoyed. Um, And this kind of goes back to that kind of bottling it up because what would happen was that I wouldn't even realize it, but that pressure, there was an, an element of stress and, and to be fair, it was probably stress that I put on myself because I wanted to achieve, but I used to grind my teeth in my sleep. So Me in the too. daytime, I was absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. But at night, I was obviously my brain was working and I was tense and I was, you know, whether I was practicing that run again or, or what it was I was doing, it was it was there in me. Um, but yeah, having this kind of upbringing of, of being involved in sport to, to an extent that sport was taking me out of my schooling. I was doing schooling by fax machine. I keep saying this at the moment because my kids have, have done homeschooling, um, you know, using all the wonderful tools and technology that we have these days and felt quite hard, hard done by. Um, and uh, and I was like, yeah, well, I did it by fax machine, guys. And then obviously had to explain what a fax machine was. <laughs> um, this was before email, before internet. Um, but um, having, you know, having that upbringing of where you were 
quite um, intensely educating, doing your education, but also going through sport. Um, I found that was a truly brilliant upbringing. It meant that maybe I missed out on some of the mischief of youth, um, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe I'll make up for that in my later days. Um, but, but what it meant was that I learned a lot of the skills around resilience, about setting goals, about achieving goals, about um, and, and as you say, about dealing with, with pressure, a pressure situation when you're at the top of a run and especially if you're on a team race and you know you have to do that run, you know, as you're supposed to. Otherwise, the whole team loses out. That is pressure. And it's how you flip that into going, turn that pressure into performance rather than pressure that makes you crumble. How did you do that? I mean, and yeah, what was the training or the basic training to to turn um, that think, into performance so a lot of it comes from I think from preparation and belief in your preparation so um you know I think um so so knowing when you're at the top of the race and you're in that start gate um if you know that you have done enough runs that you are confident in your ability that you know that you can push just because in training you're pushing till you fall um in racing you're pushing to just before you fall <laughs> so so okay. so knowing knowing the boundaries of where you can push um and then also knowing for example other parts of preparation knowing that um, i think a lot of people when they see ski racing they think you just turn up and you ski what, what you don't see is you're not allowed to ski the course prior to the race because that would be you're not allowed to practice and ski it because that would give you an unfair advantage but you are allowed to do what's called course inspection which is where you side slip all the way down the course and effectively what you're doing is you're memorizing it so you're preparing mm. yourself so that when you come out of that start gate you already know what you're doing you already know where you're turning how you're hitting that gate what angle you're hitting it from so that when you come down that course and you, you're already prepared so I think that was how you dealt with the pressure is you went well look I know that I've got the confidence and ability and belief in myself. I know that my team have got the belief in me as well. Um, and I know this course and I know what I've got to do. And, and the preparation in the start gate is probably with your race manager is sitting there and you would, we would literally sit there and we would be going with our eyes closed, imagining mm. each gate um, and, and moving physically, moving our body through each gate, reliving it before we've even done it. Um, and maybe your race manager would say to you, you know, OK, which gate are you at now? What turn are you turning before that? So you would know what you were doing. And I think that really and and maybe the secret to that is that the, the way that you deal with pressure and I think definitely the way I deal with pressure now is taking action. So I think it's really hard to deal with pressure, just sitting still thinking, um, although that was a process of thinking, it's taking action, it's doing something proactive towards effectively relieving the pressure, um, you know, taking mm. each step towards relieving it. Oh, gosh, that's so interesting around your distinction between even though you're thinking the, the race course, but you're moving the race course, you're sort of visualizing and moving your body through the race. I think that's so interesting because if you think about um, my background in performance and, you know, dance and, and um, musical training, that that's the same, right? Because, you know, you can't practice necessarily the piece of music just before you're going into an examination or before you're going into an orchestral piece, but you are feeling it. And yeah. I use that word really intentionally because I think you do feel it. Yeah. Um, and you're saying the same. And I, I'm just so intrigued as to how this sort of drilling, this practice of performance in a sport or in performance of another area can translate into the many things that we're doing, or you're doing in business, yeah. uh, 
so you know, how do you borrow on that well so here's an interesting reflection because I always think um a real key to business is momentum and flow um and that the hardest part is stopping and starting um so when you've got your flow and you've got momentum everything else seems to fall into place when you don't have momentum it's freaking hard work yeah. and I always think that is you know is like you know the Iron Man pulling pulling the you know the bus or the truck is that those first few steps are painfully slow but once they get a bit of momentum I don't know if you ever watch one of these Iron Men pulling yeah something, yeah the first few steps are absolutely the hardest but once there's a bit of momentum it almost then looks easy and I think it's very much the same in business and in every area of life. If you get that bit of momentum, then then it became, becomes a bit easier. And I guess that's what you're doing, you know, in a preparation for a ski race is you're getting yourself into that flow. Um, and you will often see, um, you know, that some of the best skiers in the world are the ones that hit it straight in the flow rather than the ones that take a few gates to get themselves in the rhythm, because actually it takes time to do that. So if you can get yourself into your flow first, and that's where I think, um, you know, these days I suppose you steal techniques such as anchoring and um, you know little tricks that you can use that um, so for example I mean both you and I so we've both written books and I, I really leveraged the power of, of psychological anchoring when I did that so what I mean by that was when um, when I went to write my book I knew that the only time I had to do it was in the evenings once I put the kids to bed and I would get about three hour stints I, I didn't have the ability to go away on a long writing weekend where I could really get into the mm. flow so mm -hmm. instead I knew I had this like this this choppy time so what I did was I used um, triggers such as I would make sure that I, I had a specific place where I sat to do my writing before I went and sat down there I made the same drink I played the same piece of music mm. I physically moved in the same way so that by the time I sat down my brain was already like oh hello we're in writing flow now <laughs> off you go so I sat down and went straight into it rather than um you know rather than having to sit there and and you know try and get myself into the flow gradually so I think there are ways that you can trick yourself into that but that momentum and flow is is what I think is so important yeah Yes, gosh, it's making me reflect on what it was that I did when I used to write. And I think there's something for me about smelling candles. You know, it's like, right, I'm going into this room, lighting, getting a candle, you know, all of that sort of ritual. And it is ritualistic, isn't it? That's, yes. that's what's so interesting about this stuff, I think. Yeah. Um, so, so what's been the hardest pressure you've ever dealt with? So partly it's around balance getting the balance right and I think I think at the moments where I've crumbled is where I've got the balance wrong so I think um that that's really that's when I felt pressure is when I felt and actually so reflecting deep on that the, the hardest pressure is the pressure I put on myself mm -hmm. um the hardest pressure is where I I um, get frustrated with my progress and, and have not appreciated maybe my current situation and it probably comes more from comparison fatigue than anything else yeah. or, or my own kind of expectations going this is where I want to be and I want to get there I'm, I'm massively impatient <laughs> so I'm like I want to get there now um mm. so when I want to get there I can't and then and then I put that pressure on myself and, and then get my balance wrong and don't know that I'm doing the right thing with the kids or or whatever so um, I think that's where my learnings have been as well. Of, and, and as I feel as I've matured is learning that actually um, it's OK just to kind of go at your own pace and run your own race and not be at the same, you know, the same pace as everybody else. I love the fact that your whole metaphor is around the sort of skiing analogy of balance, pace, race. You know, <laughs> but, you know, getting your balance wrong, you're referring to it in your life. And actually, presumably, when you were skiing, that sort of 
messes up the race, doesn't it? If your balance is wrong as well. So yeah, I suppose I've never you... thought of it that way, but yeah, I guess so, you know, and that, um, and again, that, uh, I mean, I suppose again, from a young age, even on the ski slopes, I saw that I saw, um, I never forget a, a race when a really good competitor, friend of mine, she was on such good form at the time and halfway down the race, she just stopped like just Gosh. completely stopped but the reason she stopped was she put herself under too much pressure mm. um and and it was pressure yes there was pressure from the team and from others but but majority nobody had put her under so much pressure that she was going to stop she did that herself um and I remember seeing that and going okay that's interesting so I don't want to be in that situation and yet and then appreciating actually how for all of us it's so easy to end up in those situations yeah and how do you recognize that how uh, so first of all what are the first signs that the pressure is now no longer positive or energizing it's actually tipped into something less helpful a how do you recognize it Fran and then b what do you do so I think for me the first sign is physiological um I actually think I'm not that intelligent that my brain can't work it out itself so my body works it out and I start getting you know sore shoulders I get uncomfortable I get pressure I start sleeping badly, eating badly, drinking badly. So all the physiological stuff happens yeah. before the psychological stuff. Um, and, and it took me years to work that out. Um, I, years to realize that uh, if I had a bad back, I did actually have a bad back from the skiing, but, but when my back got bad, I always said, oh, it's the skiing. And a lot of the time I venture, I realized it wasn't that actually, it was, it was that it was my brain going, I tell you what, if you're not gonna take a break, I'm freaking gonna force you to. <laughs> Um, so Gosh, how often do we hear that story? Hey? Yeah. So, so yeah. now I will feel, I will notice. And, and, it, and now I think once your, your senses are heightened to how your body responds, um, it's actually much easier then to actually work out what's going on for you. So I will start to feel those little niggles and sometimes I won't even know what it's about. Mm. So I'll go, okay, so there's something not right here. And I actually have to do some soul searching and go, well, hold on a second. Like, why, why am I, why am I not sleeping well? Or why have I got that shoulder ache or that mm. backache? Like what's going on? Um, and sometimes, sometimes, I, sometimes I can work it out. Sometimes I can't even work it out. Sometimes I can assume what it is, but I don't really feel it. But when those triggers come that I've now learned that that's the point where you go, okay, I tell you what, just having an afternoon off, or I'm just, uh, I'm getting to bed early, or I'm just going to just be kind to myself. And actually, one of the amazing things I think that I've got from you, Sarah, is, is the permission to do that. Hmm. And I know that sounds really silly. I know we talk more about well-being these days, but when you are seen as a high-performing a high performing woman yeah you it's really hard to give yourself permission and when someone like Sarah Monroe says to you <laughs> you have permission to to have a You're do day you go well okay if Sarah says so then I'm gonna do it what if only <laughs> my children felt that way <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so I think that um that that and, it, and again surrounding yourself with other peers and people that mm. understand that to be high performing you do have to look after yourself you have to look after your health and your and you know all of those things more so I think that's um that's really really helped me a lot um in those in those moments and also appreciating you know, I think it got to a point one afternoon I think when you run your own business um the, the beauty is nobody's your boss the the nightmare is nobody's your boss or you are your boss yeah. in both those situations yeah. and that you can work yourself harder than you would ever work another human um and um I remember there was a I think there was an afternoon when I was sitting at my computer and I was so exhausted 
And I was so uninspired in that moment that I was, and I was just like plodding, you know, and, and actually I was doing nothing. I was pretending, it was almost like my boss was on my shoulder looking over me and I had to pretend that I was working because I wasn't working and I wasn't achieving anything, but I was sitting there because I felt like I'm my own boss. I want to achieve, I've got to be there. And um, I suddenly kind of the, the, it flicked a switch and I went, what am I doing? Like, what, why? Um, do you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to have tomorrow off. I'm just like, I'm not going to justify it to anyone. I'm literally going to take the day off. Um, and it, when I take the day off, I'm not going to clean the house. I'm not going to do that bit of DIY. I'm not going to, you know, wash the kids clothes. I'm, I'm actually just going to, I'm going to have a duvet day. And that for me was a, mm. that was, that was something I'd never done before. And yes, I felt guilty and I felt, oh, I felt like I'd wasted a day and this was terrible. And then I thought, well, actually no, because when I went back, I was so much more effective that I was yeah. like, I didn't waste a day. What I did was I bought myself 10 times more effectiveness. So the, the investment in time of nothing was actually investment in time of a load of stuff that yeah. would have taken a lot longer to happen. Yeah. And it, it feels so hard to do that sometimes, doesn't it? When you're in the habit of doing, mm. um, and I, I, you know, and you know, as a as a semi-professional sportswoman, the power of recovery. You know, you can't you can't perform unless you recover. And yet, and yet, sometimes what I witness in the people that I work alongside is, and myself included, that we forget that, and just keep keep plowing on, keep going. Um, yeah, and then, and then to, when you keep doing that you lose the joy in it right yeah and if you yeah. lose the joy in it what's the point because then you just you don't and I'm a big believer that way, the way you show up in the world is all about is, is not just about what you do it's the passion mm. and the the, the mm. you know the, the way that you do it not just what you do and I think when you push and push yourself like that you start to lose the you know all of the other the other passion that you have around it and, and then you're not you're never going to be able to deliver the same performance without that side of it I want to highlight something Fran just said the investment in time of nothing was actually an investment in time of a load of stuff she said I didn't waste a day I bought myself 10 times more effectiveness this reminds me of something the actress Kim Cattrall said Work had become her child and she'd let it rule her life. She realised that she hadn't been doing enough things for the heck of it. And what she called a heck of it day was a day to be funny, mess around, relax. I have a few clients who find heck of it days essential. They might call them who cares afternoons or no plan days or do nothing moments. The neuroscientist David Rock calls this downtime and describes it as anything non-goal focused, like reading, a mundane task like washing the dishes or just sitting on the couch zoning out. This is allowing your mind to wander and reflect. It allows your brain to recover. And there's an added bonus. This space allows your unconscious connections to come to the surface and solve complex problems. As many sports coaches will say, rest days are training days. Maybe we could all benefit from being more intentional about our downtime or from just doing things for the heck of it. Conversely, do you ever get the opposite when you don't have enough pressure? Or do you think you are now really good at building and provoking the pressure that's needed for you to perform at your best? I mean, what, what's the balance for you and how do you, how do you manage that? So I, think there, so I think there is a point um, when, and there are points when you suddenly go, 
you know, like, why am I doing this again? Um, and uh, why am I putting myself through this? There are days when I go, do you know what? I could probably just be a stay-at-home mum now. Like, I think I've got enough financial security. I could just, like, hang out with the kids. Um, and so I think you do get those moments. And wh- I think when I get those, that's, again, that's another sign of maybe we need a little bit of time off. Sometimes it's also a sign of the fact that you've lost you've lost track of where you're going. Um, mm. you, you know, and I think especially over the last two years with, with the craziness that we've had with COVID and so on, it's been really easy just to get into the, talking about flow, there's where that flow becomes negative, where it just becomes mundane. Um, and you lose sight of why you're doing stuff, what you're doing it for. Um, you haven't really got anything to look forward to anymore because you're just in, you know, doing the same. It's like Groundhog Day, the same thing. And I think when you get to those points, um, it's time. Sometimes that that's time to do introspection and reflect on actually what, what am I wise? Why am I doing this? And I think when I get to those times, it's usually because I've lost my um I've got so focused on doing I've lost the connection with why I'm doing it. I still know why I'm doing it but I've lost the real connection and and in those moments my I, I want to I have to go out and find that connection for me um I find that connection in nature um, mm-hmm. I love being outdoors so that's my go-to place when I lose when I lose that I find that if I go outdoors um and just be outdoors whether that be walking hiking something like that that I'm given the space then I allow myself um, the time to daydream. And I think it's Mm. um, daydreaming is something um, that I've read quite a bit about in terms of cognitively, it's super important Mm. for you. Um, But it's something that's almost seemed like a waste of time, a waste of activity. But actually I've discovered that I need to allow myself to literally just go and daydream um, and just not, you know, go. And for me to do that, I need to kind of go outside, go for what being a real, you know, in the woods, in the nature um, and, and have that real daydreaming moment. And when you do that, you start to then you start to sort of reconnect with why, you know, with you really um I suppose that I mean maybe daydreaming is your your innermost connection with your inner desires and thoughts and so on so you start to reconnect with some of that which which I think really helps then get you back into realizing what you're doing and then the other way I suppose that I still push myself to find that reconnection is physically pushing myself so so you'll mm. know Sarah, I've loved over the years every so often I get this need that I need to go climb a big old mountain yes. um, and go and do a proper expedition and get my backside up the top of something that's really quite difficult to get it up um, and um, when I do that that there is there's a beautiful process that that happens for me during an ascent of a mountain and a descent for that matter. Um, But it's a case of at the beginning, it's all about, you know, whoever you climb with, you're chatting and sharing. And it's this kind of, you forget about the rest of the world because you're together and you're focused, you know, you, you, the camaraderie of going up a mountain together brings you together. um, And you chat about that. And, and that, that firstly disconnects me from, all the other stuff because you're completely immersed in, in and in this beautiful natural world that you're seeing changing as you're doing it as you're going through you're getting progressively more physically exhausted and tired um so that starts to kind of weaken some of your I want to say sort of almost the the, the masks that you normally put up you you don't have the ability to put those up anymore because you're sort of being being broken down a little bit by the physical exertion of it and then most mountain ascents um when you do them the final push for the summit you do at night so you get up at two three o'clock in the morning and you you hike climb through the night through the darkness wow. 
And in that that moment, that for me is this, you couldn't have that moment on your on its own. You need the other bits of it to build up to that. But in that moment, um, whenever you, whenever I've done a, a final ascent, nobody talks. So even though you've been chit-chatty, chit-chatty all to the point, mm. at that point it is head down and it is just focus one foot after the other and you're in the dark um yes you're surrounded by incredible nature and if you look up you can see the stars and the sky so mm. you suddenly put in your place in the world you know mm-hmm. you suddenly realize you're just this tiny little thing in this big world so that's kind of quite momentous but whilst you're walking and your head down it's physically very challenging and what that forces you to do in that quiet moment where you just all you're focusing on is one foot in front of the other is it allows your brain to or allows my brain to just start working on stuff and taking those deep dives and I've been known you know halfway up at a night final ascent just to burst into tears to suddenly feel a gush of love for my kids or for people that are important in my life because suddenly everything comes into perspective and it's and it's that it's that that I would climb a mountain for it's not for getting to the summit it's for that moment of sudden like Oh, like it's like everything suddenly falls into place and of course when you come down you're you're just elated because you discover that you know you've you've found what well for me I find what I need to find in those moments gosh I love that Fran and and I love your description of it and you can just tell by the way you're talking what it does to you yeah. and I, I'm curious as to know when you're in the the throes of something that is tough um business-wise maybe or personally mm-hmm. or you're feeling that pressure how do you connect to those moments so that they still keep you going so I think so so I think um to an extent and I I sometimes think that this is a bad thing but then often I actually think it's a good thing um is my initial reaction is to not connect and to get my head down and get done what needs to get done so my first instinct is I'm in a situation I need to get done what I need to get done and actually um I had um a brilliant example of this of where maybe it wasn't the most sensible thing but I've just been away with a client um and um on the final day I had a a big day of delivery to do with them it was all about this final day that I had to do with them um and in the morning helping get breakfast was ready I slit open like properly slit open the whole top of my finger um and um my instant reaction was this can't be happening now because I've got shit that I need to do speak my language <laughs> I got stuff I need to do right and so I kind of bandaged it up and probably um uh, I should have you know you could argue I should have gone to the hospital I should have got it sorted out but instead I went actually no I need to um I need to this, this is what I've got to do here now I've got to um, it wasn't helped by the fact that I previously sliced this finger open and I have no feeling in it. So I had gone without realizing it, I had gone really, really deep. Um, and uh, I am a little bit accident prone. What can I say? Um, but um, uh, and and so then I literally bandaged it up and then just got on. I bandaged it myself. I didn't let anyone see it. I was just like, stop it bleeding. We'll sort it out later. And then got in the zone and got done what I needed to do. Um, and lots of times in my life, that ability just to go, I don't, you know, whatever's happening, stick it in a box. We'll deal with it later. Has served me very well. Um, the problem is, is if you keep sticking it in a box and you don't open it up. So going back to the finger example, when eventually I got back to the airport and I took the plaster off, I could see that my finger was slightly going black. 
<laughs> which is never a good sign, right? Yeah. Um, and so then I was like, okay, I've got to deal with this. If I'd kept that stuck in its box for too long, it would not have been a good thing. Um, so uh, the, the, the key message here is it's okay to do that for a little bit, but then as long as you make sure you have the environment after to go and sort it out. So, so the first thing is I, I'm guilty and I often will, will just head down and get stuff done. And, and I do... I sometimes think, is that a bad thing? I think, should I should I have asked for help? Should I have gone and got it in that situation? But actually, I go, no, do you know what? I quite like the fact that I can just pull it out of the bag in those situations and make it happen. Maybe maybe questionable in other situations, but hopefully that was okay. Oh, um, God. And, and then after that, then... So, so then take it even out of this analogy after I've kind of got through what I need to, I've got done so that I feel that there is stability. And maybe this comes from, you know, being a mother, you'll know this when everything, the chaos is going on with your kids. Um, sometimes you've just got to hold yourself together for them. Yes, and then yes. when, when they're in bed, oh my God, it all comes out. Yes. Um, and, and I think that's one of those things. So I do think that dealing with pressure sometimes is holding it together yes. until there is until there is the right moment to relieve the pressure. Yeah, I love that point. I, God, I mean, I can relate to that story. It's not as bad as cutting your, cutting your hand off, but I, I, I can also remember dropping a table when I was trying to get, set up a room for a team and I tipped the table over and it landed on my foot. And uh, it was absolute agony, but I had no time to do anything with it. So I just sort of ran the day and then by the end of the day could hardly walk and I went to hospital found out that I'd broken my toe not that I could necessarily have done anything about it but I I, I see and understand what you're talking about there is but I suppose the challenge for all of us is how long do you hold it together before you actually and, get and how it? serious must it be before you <laughs> yes. up go? so actually the client that I was with when he found out later because I told him got really angry and said yeah. you know you should have told me um but I still I still on this occasion I still stand by that decision so so maybe you know maybe the secret is having you know having someone that you counsel with and you check in with and go like I'm just head down at the moment and I think this is I see this happening with a lot of my girlfriends a lot of you know strong women I know is that they will you know when when you know when it all hits the fan that they will just get their heads down and and I'm guilty of this I know many of my really close girlfriends they cut everyone off um mm. because actually as soon as you let people in you it's like opening the valve and letting a little bit of the pressure out and then it might explode so you right. you sort of, you've I, I I'm definitely guilty of like cutting myself off head down and I suppose over the years I've got better um, with those that are closest to me to, to, to at least just messaging them and say, hey, listen, I'm having one of those moments, head down. But if it doesn't come up again soon, can you come drag it up? Yeah, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, so having that support of people that, especially if they're like you and they know that, and I've got a couple of girlfriends that are very similar to me um, and we sort of start to spot each other and go, okay, right, we've not heard from you now. This is this is, this is is time for an intervention rather yeah, than, yeah. than letting it get too far. So... See, I think there is this bit of just kind of managing, holding on to that pressure, but the key is not so long till it explodes. Um, and yeah. then and then I guess the reason, the motivation for holding on to it is that then in my view, I mean, it's a bit like a, you know, it, pumping up a balloon, you know, really, really, really big. You could just pop it with a, with you know, you know, someone could come and, and pop it suddenly and it's an explosion and that's chaos. Or, or you can very controllably let the air out through the valve. And that's, and I guess that's what I'm trying to do is I'm controlling those situations, even if it means I've got to know that I've got a high pressure balloon on my hands, I'm controlling it, but then, then giving myself then the space to vote to gradually <clears throat> let, let the pressure out 
in a way that I feel like I'm controlling that rather than just letting it explode and happen interesting and also if you take if you follow on that analogy of the balloon it, it it also potentially means that each time you do that the balloon can get slightly bigger stretch further I do fundamentally believe that we can we all thrive if we can manage the pressure I think we get better I certainly from my life the pressure moments have taught me so much and allowed me to believe that I can do something that I felt like even two years ago couldn't do if I'm if I can dare to get going (laughs) and try it and and so therefore I feel that what you're talking about there is if you can manage it it stretches you in a good way um and I and it's just I suppose learning about what that moment is for you and it's all very individual isn't it Mm. and I think and I think that's an amazing point and definitely the more you do this the better you get um the the risk is the 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 more pressure you're handling um so you know because the the bigger you're getting the more pressure you're handling so just making sure again that you've got the right support structure to relieve that pressure but I think where the growth for me comes is that um is is in my understanding of actually what is my pressure and what isn't um, and not taking on the pressure of uh, either the societal perceived pressure, you know, pressure that, you know, I mean, gosh, you see this, I see this all the time with mums, the pressure to be the perfect mum. I mean, actually, other than your kids, who should give a damn? Mm. Um, And uh, so, so it's really easy sometimes to take on pressure, other people's pressure, um, and and your own perception of pressure rather than actually what is pressure and I think where that balloon expands is where we suddenly go do you know what that thing I would have taken that as pressure before but now I'm just taking that it's a thing and I'm yeah. not going to let it affect me because actually it's not my it's not my concern it's not my issue um, so I think that's where there's real stretch and I think that's where I find I grow in my ability to take on pressure is in that ability to go what's my pressure and what's not my pressure and how what, do you what... just that's so useful Fran but how do you distinguish how have you learned to distinguish that? Because you said earlier on that you were very empathetic and you like mm. fixing things and you like helping people and supporting them. And I, I, you know, how do you distinguish? Okay, enough. Yeah. Okay. So, so I think, I think it's experience. Um, okay. And Sarah, you know a lot about my life. You'll know that I've taken on pressure. I take on pressure of other people inappropriately. Sometimes I want to help them too much and I take on their pressure. But every time I do that, and I and I know that I kind of almost have to go through that course of doing it mm-hmm. to then come out the other side and go, I didn't need to take that on. So sometimes you actually I'm a big believer. That the best way to learn is to experience. Yeah. Um, so sometimes there's that. So, so maybe in the in your pressure journey, it's learning and that in that journey, you are going to have to experience that pressure in order to learn how to to detach yourself from it. Yes. Um, and I think it's that once you've gone through that journey, so at an example, taking on someone else's pressure, which I've been incredibly guilty of doing and done to extreme extents, that once you've taken on someone's pressure and you've come out the other side and you've gone, reflected on it and gone, God, I didn't really need to do any of that. Um, but, but the reflection also often is, is not that necessarily the other person was asking you to take on that pressure, it's that you put it on yourself. Mm. Um, so then it's also understanding that, Actually, and I think for me, it's understanding that, especially if we're talking about other people's pressure that you take on yourself, that when you do that, you taking on that pressure never actually helped them. Mm-hmm. You think it's helping them, but it never actually helps them. In fact, if anything, it probably hindered them because they're now worried. They've now got the pressure on thinking that, that they've put you under pressure. And that's, you know, it's like a horrible compound effect. 
Um, yeah. So actually understanding that, that that didn't help them and it didn't help you. Um, and then it's making that conscious decision that when you notice yourself doing it to go, I'm going to stop that. I'm going to break that habit. And I'm saying this like I've cracked this. I have not cracked this at all. I'm, <laughs> it's still very much work in progress, but yes. it is work in progress. And I, again, that's the difference, isn't it? It's being conscious of this stuff and going, actually, if I keep improving with every experience, with every relationship and keep do review adjust, then you end up um, in a much better place. Oh, I love that. Do review adjust. I love it. Do so move. nice. It's a bit like, uh, uh, yeah, we, we have a phrase, uh, choose, use, um, adapt. Yeah, it's always about Sim- threes. Yeah, yeah, good threes, good threes and trios. Wow, fantastic. This point that Fran's making feels really key. Those times when we find ourselves inadvertently taking on pressure that doesn't belong to us. The word inadvertently is the clue. It's not a conscious choice. In the book, I call it wagging. Those moments when we say yes to something, when we actually have no capacity or energy to take on anymore. On an unconscious level, we feel that the reward from taking on that pressure will be greater than the cost. For example, saying yes to a deadline that you know you can't meet. The good news, as Fran says, is that we can learn to distinguish between pressure that is ours to take on and will help us grow and pressure that's not ours, that we can learn to consciously detach ourselves from. Step one is noticing the difference between the two. Step two is choosing ways to detach and, as Fran puts it, do, review and adjust. Or as I would put it, become a scientist on your own behaviour. Now, you're doing something pretty extraordinary, aren't you? In terms of like, you know, I know that you're always hungry for new things, but now you're doing something pretty. Can you just explain what it is that you're now absolutely immersed in? Yeah. So um, for the last four or five years, I've um, had this fascination in mentoring. I've always had mentoring running through my businesses, but really kind of took a deep dive into going, how can we, um, I guess, um, a big motivation of mine personally is all around human connection. And how do humans on a one to one level connect? And how can those relationships make a real difference? Mm-hmm. And from, from that, um, whether that be in business, in personal life, in relationships, whatever, I just, I'm fascinated by human connection. And, and I should say I'm fascinated by it because naturally I'm not very good at it. Um, it's sort of been my life study. I was the kid at school that really struggled to make friends. Um, you know, I was very shy. I was very introvert. I know people find that unbelievable to believe now. But I'm the kid, you know, if you look back at who I'm in contact with from school, it's very few because I really struggled to make connections and friendships, even with my siblings. You know, I always um, we're super close to each other. But if you look at their relationship compared to my relationship, I was always the one on the outside. And, and from that, I've sort of developed this fascination in, in connecting and, and connection. And, and as a result of what I saw from in business, I started to see the real power that mentoring had by bringing two people together in meaningful interactions that meant that they both helped each other progress and I'm a believer that all connection is two-way and it's about how both people progress um so I started a company where we started doing all sorts of interesting things around creating mentoring relationships training corporates how to have really effective mentoring programs um, and also doing programs where we took people from across societal barriers so people that were say in good corporate jobs with homeless young people and bringing them together in these really powerful mentoring relationships where everybody 
the, the power of those relationships is that they change people for the better. So everybody shifts their perspectives and gains, gains a greater understanding. Um, so having done that for quite a few years, um, I we've seen that we've had a really big impact. We've made a big difference. We've made a big social impact. We've made a big impact on all our clients. Um, I wanted to grow it and scale it um, and went back to one of my favorite phrases, which was, um, if not me, who, if not now, when, and went, do you know what? somebody's got to do something big with this um and and i'm it's got to be me because i'm immersed in this world and this is the right time and the right place um so at the moment i have just um i've just raised investment and i am building a technology platform that will look at creating mentoring relationships both across societal barriers but also internally within organizations um and and start to re-engage that, that specialness of one-to-one human interaction. So in a world, there's a real dichotomy here, right? Because the world of technology has pulled us away from those meaningful connections more than ever. Um, and the, our ability and the ways that we connect these days means we're more connected, physically connected, but less emotionally connected than we've ever been. Um, and so bizarrely, I want to bring back those more emotional connections, but by using the technology <laughs> to enable that. Um, so it's finding this kind of this, this middle ground um, and create a platform where these connections can happen. But more than that, then using the technology to start to understand these connections and then help people improve them um so um we're on a, a big mission to to build this out at least over the next five years to to get hundreds of thousands of people in these really meaningful short when i say short six to twelve month but effective mentoring relationships where we start to close some gaps in, and barriers that break down barriers close gaps in society close gaps in organizations and help people really really live their fullest life but through making these meaningful meaningful interactions yeah i mean amazing but what the bit that you're I would like to emphasize that you're glossing over is the fact that you had no understanding of how to do that but I know that you started to almost wireframe the whole thing out on pieces of cards on on the floor and you know what what amazes me about what you managed to achieve Fran is you never seem to be put off by something that feels out of your sphere of influence And I think that's pretty extraordinary. And when you're thinking about the phrase better under pressure, Mm. you, for me, as somebody that says, yeah, okay, I don't know how, but you're so um, able to somehow galvanize yourself. So I'll find a way, like you just said, you know, I don't know who, and I don't know how, but I'm going to have a go anyway. Mm. So what is it that galvanizes you to push yourself into an area where somebody else might say, I don't know how to do that. So it's really not my sphere of influence. Yeah. So I guess, so the, I guess there's, there's two things here. One is belief. Um, and I think you need to. So stop I, there. How do you do that with the belief? Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's, so um, it do, like this stuff doesn't happen overnight. And I think um, it would only be fair to say that I invested in probably 15 years of personal development, right? I gave up on the news. I didn't listen to the news. I pretty much gave up on social media um, and I immersed myself in books, audios, 
things that were about how to be the best version of yourself. Um, so, and and I think that's a thing that that people sometimes gloss over themselves actually and go, mm. um, you know, that how do you become a high performance person? Well, you have to immerse yourself in that environment. And that one of the easiest ways to do it is go and read a great book that just blows your mind. And but more than read the book read the book and then go put a little bit of it into action. Even if you only take one thing out of that book, but you go and start living it until it becomes habit. So I think immersing myself in that kind of environment and then also to an extent surrounding myself with other people, I like to call them limitless people, people that will Mm. kind of, you know, go, yeah, do you know, we'll we'll find, you know, whatever. They're they're open-minded. And that's for me the kind of, the measure of someone is not what they know or what they've done or what they've achieved. It's how much they're willing to learn. Um, because as far as I'm concerned, if you're willing to learn, then, then the world is your oyster. And I guess then that's the attitude that I've taken to myself is to go, well, actually, do you know what they, if someone else can do it, then why the hell can't I? Um, so, so, so all I need to know is how they did it. And I'm quite, I'm quite system and process driven. So then I go, well, all I need to know is the secret system, the, the process. And the beauty is these days is it's all on YouTube. <laughs> you can learn anything yeah. on YouTube, yeah. right? So, so you know, all you've got to do is find someone that's good at that and and then just go learn how to do it. Um, so that was exactly the attitude that I took with this platform. I sat there. And, and so that belief is, so firstly, there's that kind of belief in kind of building your, you know, building yourself up. And then it is that case of trying it. So, over the years I've tried stuff that I thought I wouldn't be good at um and and some of the tips I suppose that I got from my early mentors was for example and again people find this amazing but I was I was couldn't do public speaking I, I was very introverted I found it really hard and so um I had a chat with a mentor who said look if you want to get better at public speaking you need one word and that word is yes and every time there is any opportunity to public speak now over the next 12 months you don't even think about it you just say yes and so I went for a year where where there was any opportunity and I had to volunteer myself so somebody said has anyone got anything to say I had to say yes even if I didn't have anything to say Um, and and it just forced you so so partly it's like you've just got to throw yourself in there Um, and when you do that what you discover is that generally you don't sink, generally you swim. And if you do sink, there's always someone there to catch you and bring you to the surface. So you don't need to worry about it. It's very, very rare that you're going to be in a situation where you genuinely sink. Um, You might feel like it, but you won't. Um, Mm -hmm. And then um, also to appreciate that in those moments when you're most uncomfortable, that that's when the biggest growth is happening. Mm -hmm. And start, I learned to, and this came from personal development, I learned to embrace that. Um, I used to say to all my family, I'm going to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And now when I'm too comfortable, I feel uncomfortable because I think, mm. oh, I just feel very static and like, ugh. Um, so then, so yeah, so getting really like, just switching your mindset and go, these are some values and principles I want to live my life by. I want to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, I don't ever want to get too comfortable. I always want to have, and there, I'm sure there'll be times in my life when I will want to be properly comfortable. I'm sure that will come at some point, but at least always have some areas where you're striving and and looking for that growth. Um, so yeah, so there was that personal development, building that belief, um, and then and then going out and find it and just finding the process. So with this tech platform. I, I had no idea. I've never developed technology before. I'm pretty apt. I can kind of work my way around like a laptop and those kind of things and a mobile phone. I could do those things. Um, but I just went, you know, there's people out there that know how to do this. I just need to find them and mm. find out what they do. And then, and, and then in a way, 
the other element to this that I think people often overlook is that when they go and try and do something new, they go and try and fit into the other people's boxes. Whereas I go into it going, I want to learn from you, but I want to bring me into it. Mm. So I'm not going to do things in the same way, because actually, if everybody's doing it in the same way, it's probably, again, it's not growing, it's too comfortable. So I'm always looking to kind of learn what I need to learn, but then have a little bit of rebel in me that does my own little bit on, you know, brings my own you know, looks at it and go, well, that doesn't make sense to me. So I'm going to try it a different way. It might fail, but I'll learn a lot from it. So I'll just try a different way and then go back to that. Brilliant. So much in there. Thank you. So Fran, as we draw this uh, to the clo- to a close, I'm, I always ask this question, right? Which is, what would be the two things out of all of the brilliant gems you've shared with us in this, what two things would you pass forward? Oh, two things. So one I think is definitely, um, okay, believe in yourself, believe in your ability and don't ever let anybody, because people will tell you you can't do stuff, don't listen to them. Um, They're only saying that because either they love you and they want to protect you or they're jealous of you. So don't ever listen if anyone says that you can't do something. Have that belief in yourself and believe that if any, if that you can do anything, you can even do things that other people haven't done yet. Um, If you want it bad enough, you can do it. So the first thing is have that belief in yourself. And the second thing is Go find, you know, go find a system or a process or the support that you need to do the things that you need to do um, and, and just go do them. And, and that might be, for example, finding out what ways it is that you need to relieve the pressure on yourself um, or, or whatever it is. But find the ways that you need to do that. And, and don't expect to get it right first time. I'm doing one, two things now, Sarah. I'm being <laughs> That's well, like, belief, what I'm hearing in there is belief. And I think there's a sort of there's a practice in there, which is different for, for everyone in terms of how do you um, increase the volume on self-belief mm-hmm. yeah, um, and whether that's having, you know, I mean, I've got a ring here that says everything you need is within that, yeah. that helps me connect to, come on, yeah. you, you're self-doubting, come on, what, what is it that you need? You've got, you've got it, just find it. Um, yeah. And then the second thing you're saying is, which is probably linked to the first is surround yourself with people that are going to actually encourage that belief yeah. or even excel push you further um yeah and, and you've said to me before actually around the power of the people you s- surround yourself with yeah um there, there's, there's science saying you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with so pick yeah. them wisely that doesn't mean you have to get rid of your family but just pick the five people you're going to hang out with the most really wisely and that's because again um we our limits are often set by what we know and can see So if you can only see people with low limits, that's all you're going to believe is possible for yourself. Whereas if you start to see people with higher limits, all of a sudden it automatically raises your belief in what's possible. And especially if those are there's one thing, you know, about um, don't get you've already heard. I love reading books and, and being inspired by inspirational people. And that is one way to raise your limits. But actually something about the proximity of people, when it's someone, you know, and you go, do you know what? If they could do that, you know, when they, when you humanize them because you have that relationship with them, mm. then all of a sudden they don't become some superstar. They are a real human being. Um, and so you can then um, raise your limits because you go, if they can do it, they're a real human as well. You cut them, they bleed too. Um, you know, I can I can do the same as them. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, you're, you're an entrepreneur and your own boss. I think sometimes that's much tougher for people who are in teams or working in organizations where actually their choice of people they work alongside is not necessarily theirs. Um, So what would you do with that? Well, so one thing I would say is I'm a big believer that 
every single person has some greatness in them, but they may not show it to you up front. So I've gone and, and worked with people before that on the face value, you would have thought, what can I get from this bunch? But when you get to know them, everybody, I can, anyone that's getting through life has got some incredible story. So I look at it as my job is to find out what that story is. Because when I find that story, it's so incredibly inspiring. So if you are working in an office and you're looking around and you're not feeling very inspired by the people around you, maybe it's because you don't know them well enough yet. Because I can guarantee every single one of them has got some story that will make you go, whoa, that's amazing. Sometimes it's um, it may not be related to their work. It might be something they did when they were a child. It might be... You know, I've never yet met anyone where I've gone, no, can't can't find it. There's always somebody that has that in them. And if it isn't something they've achieved yet, you'll find that, that deep down they've got some incredible ambition or something that inspires you that maybe they've never even admitted to themselves. Um, so I kind of think that it doesn't matter who you're around with, find the greatness in people. Um, and then and then you you've got limitless amounts of, of supply and inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose that's the heart of your mentoring uh, vision, isn't it, actually, in terms yeah. of what you've just said there? Yeah. Um, as you look ahead, mm -hmm. what is your next pressure moment, do you think? Um, so I, my next kind of pressure moment is, um, well, I've, so having just closed an investment round, that was a pressure moment. I'm pleased mm -hmm. to be at now just relieving the pressure of that. Um, so the next pressure moment now is I'm, I'm, I take responsibility hugely. Uh, I'm, I really take it very seriously. So I'm sort of responsible to shareholders now, which is putting me under a new level of pressure, but the one that I want, actually. So I've chosen that pressure. Um, so my next pressure point is um, we've just set off the tech team we're setting off all the different parts now to build out this platform and um, we did an initial prototype but we're now building out the actual the first version that's really going to go into the market um, so the pressure that I've got is making sure coordinating making sure that all comes together it's slightly different for me because I'm I am controlling the process, but I'm not in control of any of the individual parts. I've got different people. So it's a for me, it's a new pressure. Normally, I'm very much hands-on. For this, I'm actually very much hands-on in controlling the process, but not in terms of the deliverables. So it's a slightly different um, change for me. So it'll be interesting to see how I deal with that. Um, and then and then fulfilling the promises that I've made, going out and building the client base and making it happen, which I have no doubt in my belief that I'm going to do that. I have complete rock solid belief. In fact, maybe I'm being a bit cocky. I kind of believe that we're going to do it even better than we said we were going to do it. But um, what I do, where the pressure comes in is that that's all great, but it takes graft to do it. Um, and, and it takes the right kind of graft. So it's kind of going, okay, just got to make sure now that we're getting everything right in the road, that we're keeping, we are keeping the pressure on so that we start hitting targets and doing all the things that, that I've promised that we will do. Yeah. And you've got two children. And I got two little munchkins who uh, who uh, a pressure that um, is always unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. That is, the, you know, little people, the, the, the pressure there is very unpredictable and may blow up at any time. You never yes. know. So yeah, embracing yeah. embracing the chaos of, of little people. <laughs> Brilliant. Fran, thank you so much for your shares. It's, oh, thank uh, you, Sarah, for amazing brilliant. questions. It's made me think lots. Fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Better Under Pressure with me, Sarah Milne-Rowe. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and let us know what you found useful or what you'd like to know more about. Our aim is to share as many examples as possible of 
what people do to manage pressure for better. If you're interested in any of the practices mentioned, check out my book, The Shed Method. Alternatively, you can find us at Coaching Impact or me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Better Under Pressure was produced by the fab team at Smart Cookie Media. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, goodbye.